Hey, everybody. Welcome to Relish This, the nonprofit marketing podcast. I'm your host, Stu Swineford. I'm one of the co-founders of Relish Studio. We're a digital marketing agency committed to helping nonprofits thrive. And my guest today is Tamara Ryan, and she is the CEO of the Women's Bean Project. And they were founded back in the 80s with $500 and a great idea. And they have been creating this social enterprise that helps women who are are struggling to attain and maintain work, um, get training and get go through their program and be better, uh, more employable and, and better employees. And uh, we had a really cool conversation, mostly around um, what they do at, at Women's Bean Project and all the amazing things that they've been able to um, accomplish over the years, including um, setting up processes. And, and one of the things that I think is really remarkable is this idea of, as a nonprofit, finding a mechanism by which you can charge for your services. So creating a, re- a revenue stream that, is, that comes from a kind of a for-profit model. So I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Tamara Ryan with the Women's Bean Project. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for for joining me. Um, So you guys have been around for about 17 years, and you do some really cool things that I'm going to let you tell uh, our listeners about a little bit more effectively than I probably will. But um, but yeah, give us us a brief uh, overview of what, what you have going on at the Women's Bean Project. Sure. Well, actually, we just celebrated our 31st birthday as an organization. Yeah, we were founded in 1989, and we're a social enterprise from the very beginning. Our founder was volunteering at a daytime homeless shelter for women and kids, and she saw that women would come and use the services of the shelter because they didn't have a job. So they didn't have anywhere to go during the day. And then they'd leave because they'd eventually get a job. But the same women kept coming back over and over again. She was there for a whole year because she was getting her master's in social work. So she saw women leaving and returning. And what she realized was that the women might have the skills to get a job, but they didn't have the skills to keep it. Oh, interesting. She invested $500 of her own money and bought beans and started making 10 bean soup and hired two women. So there was nothing scientific about it. They just thought this would be, you know, an interesting way to teach skills by making a product. So that was in 1989. And from that $500 investment, they made $6,100 in sales. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of return on investment for every investment? I would love that. That would be amazing. (laughs) So that was 31 years ago, and today we are, in many ways, we're similar because we still hire women experiencing chronic unemployment, and now we teach them the skills that they need to get and keep employment. So they, and we're still a food manufacturer. So we make, from that original product of one bean soup mix, now we make 50 different food products that we distribute all across the country. Uh, interestingly, our best seller is still that 10 bean soup. Oh, that's really great. Uh, and so we sell those all across the country and we hire women experiencing chronic unemployment. A typical woman we hire hasn't had a job longer than a year in her lifetime, though the average age is 38. Okay. So they have wow. long histories of addiction and incarceration and Really having had jobs where the employer doesn't care whether she shows up, they'll just, if she doesn't show up, they'll just replace her with someone else. Okay. And we want to, we want to change that pattern. So we focus on 
job readiness skills, the idea that you have to come to work every day and on time and take direction and pay attention to detail. Of course, it doesn't matter where you work. You have to do those things. But what makes us different is that also we pay the women during the time that they're working on what we call the U job, the Y-O-U job. So that's the job where she's working on herself. She's working on learning problem solving and goal setting and budgeting and planning and organizing and computer skills. So we have a whole curriculum that she goes through during the six to nine months that she's with us so that when she leaves us, she's not just a better employee, but she's a better mom and a better community member. Right. Is there a pretty standard? I, well, first of all, I love the the language that you guys use on the site and, and in your programs where, where these, these women are actual graduates of, of the program. I think that's just a really neat spin on, on that idea is um, what, what are the typical challenges that most of the, most of the people who are in the program are, are facing? Is it, is it incarceration and, and addiction or what, what do you typically see most? Well, what we like to think, how we think about it is barriers to employment. And barriers Mm -hmm. to employment can look like a lot of things, but I will tell you, they never happen in singularity, right? So uh, often, every woman we hire has an average of two to three kids, though often she had her first child when she was in high school. So that might have led to her dropping out of school at that time. She might have grown up in an environment where she didn't have role models for employment. Um, I can't tell you how many times one of our program participants has said something like, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody who worked. And, you know, when you think about how profound that will, would be on a kid yeah. of growing up in a household where the norms of going to work every day just don't exist. And when they look around, they see that really their future looks like the same thing, not working, maybe selling drugs because that's what they witnessed. Right. Um, and which often leads to both addiction and then incarceration. And so it's really it's a predictable pattern. And yet at the same time, it, it, those are all the things that ultimately create barriers to her being able to get a good job. You know, if we think about the next job she's going to have is a job with an opportunity for advancement mm-hmm. and benefits and where the employer is invested in her. Right. Well, that's, that's just great work. I think, you know, at this, in this day and age, a lot of us would really benefit from that kind of a program. So it's really cool that you guys are providing that for, for these women who are really in need. Um, what, so does your, is your model sort of self-sustaining or do you, do you, do you have a donation type model? What's the, what's the funding look like in terms of, cause you, you are selling these products. So, so there's probably a, a profit, uh, components to the business in terms of your your wanting to demonstrate that to to the workers as well. Um, so what does what does that look like for you guys? We so the business is self sustaining. So the the business allows us to pay the wages of the women, you know, buy the mm-hmm. materials and pay the wages of the women as they're working in the business, and we fundraise to fund the program. Uh, components. So the women are paid regardless of whether they're working on the production line or they're sitting in a computer class. If someone gives us a donation or a grant, the donation or grant is going to support the time that woman is in a computer class or in a, a learning how to budget or learning how to do an interview. So that's really how we're funded. And we're about 60, 40, 60% of our total operating budget is sales and 40% is is through grants and donations. That's a, that's a healthy mix. That's, that's pretty amazing. 
Um, what are the biggest challenges you guys are, are see with the donations, particularly this year? I mean, we've had such a, an influx of challenges um, worldwide. Um, and then with the economic downturn, are you are you meeting your goals for uh, for that forty percent, or are things lagging? How are things going with you this year? The interesting thing when there are challenges is that many people understand that human services organizations need additional investment. Mm -hmm. And so even in 2008 and 2009, during the recession, giving to human services organizations went up. And we're seeing that as well. So we're not lagging in terms of our individual donors and also not in terms of our grants, which is great because our number of applicants has increased dramatically. Right. And our, our sales are going crazy. So we're learning that, you know, we've been around for 31 years and a pandemic is what it takes for beans, dried beans to be, you know, in great demand. So um, we're, we're all the way around. We're actually benefiting from the time right now, except for the fact that it's so stressful. Right. You know, every single person is affected by the pandemic. Right. And so, it, you know, trying to even emotionally and mentally help everyone feel supported, I think is probably the biggest challenge as a leader of the organization right now. Cause you know, this is probably the only thing in our lifetimes that has affected every single person, but it's affected us all in different ways. Yeah, it certainly has. Did you, did you experience a supply chain? I mean, I remember back at the kind of at the beginning of, of, of the pandemic and the shutdowns and, and you'd go to the grocery store and like, there would be no rice or beans at all. Did you guys suffer a supply chain challenge this year too? Or Only a couple of minor things. Okay. We had, at one point we had a problem, our, our bean soup are in boxes. They're yep. little gabled boxes that sit on the store shelves. And our um, manufacturer of those boxes bumped our order to... Uh, to produce um, PPE boxes. And so, of course, totally necessary, but that stalled an order that we had at that time. And then there was a point at which we couldn't get um, split peas for a little while. But for the most part, we've been pretty fortunate that um, from a supply chain standpoint, we've been able to get most of our materials. And uh, and our bigger challenge is just the timing of it and, and, and having enough people on site to work. You know, the constraints that you have as a manufacturer, mm-hmm. food manufacturer, are that you're considered, we are considered a critical business okay. so we can continue to operate. Yet we've had to increase all the safety measures, you know, dramatically, right. which is good for everyone. We've had no cases of COVID in, in our midst, but then it's, you know, making sure as much as possible people are distanced and people don't eat lunch together. And it's, you know, all the things that get added on to it. Right. One of my friends is um, one of the founders of Scratch Labs and he and I get to ride bikes every once in a while. And he's been telling me just about all of the, you know, the, the, the hand wash in and out of, of the doors and just all of yeah. the protocol that they had to put in place and all, all of that stuff. And so it's, it's certainly a challenge. And I think just as, you know, people are, people are, people are people and we're social creatures and, and it's hard to keep people away from each other when, when we get together. And so I think as a, as a manufacturer, that's gotta be really a, a very big challenge for you. 
It is. And then you layer on top that we are also a human services organization that's running in parallel to that. So how do we provide the program services in a way that also keeps everyone safe and still acknowledges that by design, we're not trying to have the women stay with us forever. Right. We want them to blossom and launch into their next, um, into their next part of their life. Right. And, and so it's, I mean, it's a, uh, it's always this, this work is always like plate spinning. And now it's just like somebody added, you know, 20 more plates (laughs) and and now they're at three different levels. And, you know, it feels a little just like, uh, just more of, of more. Right. (laughs) Right. How many women are working at any one time in your, in your facilities? Right now we are, uh, we're space constrained, um, and we actually will be moving to a new building in March of 2022, which okay. is great for us. But right now in our space, about 15 women can be program participants. In a year, we hire about 60 to 70. Okay. We hire every month. So we adjust that number depending on what we know our demands are going to be. And then people um, stay in the program for about nine months. Is that? Is it's that six about? to nine months. The six average nine. Okay. often ends up being about seven. Okay. Um, and that is you, most recently it's been about seven because the job market was so awesome that, you know, the women were leaving very quickly. As soon as they started job search, they'd find a job. Wow. That's great. It's really, I mean, the success stories that you have on your site are, are, just fantastic just to see how many people retain work after leaving and 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 get jobs like out of the program it's it's really really neat the reason i've been there for 17 years i've been the ceo for 17 years it's just because i get the great opportunity to meet the women on their first day and witness their maybe their skepticism uh-huh. um maybe their they come across as seeming angry or a little bit resentful. And then over, you know, six to nine months isn't that long to entirely transform your life and set yourself on a different path. But they literally blossom. It's so amazing to get that, you know, in our lifetime, we're lucky if we get that kind of opportunity in our work to see that kind of, to witness that kind of transformation. It's really pretty amazing. Oh, it sounds incredible. Yeah. So do you... um in in looking at how to kind of expand your mission are you looking to it sounds like you're you're going to grow your facility so potentially adding more opportunity there um so, but that you know that just increases all the infrastructure of of everything in terms of the you know you need you need people who can teach um skill classes and and i'm i'm assuming you have some counseling that's going on as well or and and hr kind of help are you just yeah. adding, it's adding all of those things adding people to that list well we're going to be smart about it because the the purpose of moving to a new facility is really to give us the opportunity to expand the business because sales create jobs yep. so right now we turn away opportunities to for instance do work for other companies 
because that's something we're, we're very uniquely qualified to do. We are a food manufacturer and right. we could help other companies assemble their products as sure, well, sure. Uh, but we just don't have the space to do it. So we're very focused on more space to create more jobs. Okay. And then we will respond from an infrastructure standpoint accordingly. Okay. But a lot of our um, program classes are actually led by community volunteers. Okay. So for instance, our financial literacy classes are led by people often from a group of employees from a bank. Oh, neat. And so, and so we've, we've designed it in a way that um, in, let's talk about normal times and then we'll, (laughs) in normal times, there might be a group of employees that come from a particular bank and one person will stand in front of the group and lead the class. And then every woman in the class will have an employee next to her explaining the material or helping her develop her budget. Um, So it's very much a hands-on and it's also an opportunity for someone really to get that personal attention that, you know, they wouldn't get in a classroom kind of setting and in a way that we can engage a company in our mission. Right. So it's a very meaningful volunteer experience. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds you have, you have volunteers then and donors and then, beneficiaries, the, the people in the program. Um, and then you're, you're going after grants and I'm assuming you have corporate donors and, and things of that nature as well. So those yes. are kind of the stakeholders that, that make up the mix of, of your crew. And is it just in Denver right now, or are you, are you expanding to other, other territories? Well, our product distribution is national. So we yep. are keeping our manufacturing here in Denver okay. and our impact. I think so as the leader of the organization, you know, my job is to really think about what a future looks like when we're not necessary anymore, I think. And, uh, and so one of the things that scares me is, especially because we have been around for 31 years and we've served multiple generations from the same family. Okay. I'm afraid that if we are not careful, in 20 years, we'll be serving the daughters of the women we serve today. And I don't think that should be okay with us. I think that every woman who comes to us should receive services that are so effective and far-reaching that she is the last person in her family to need us. Right. And so I would prefer to double down on this community and become unnecessary. And maybe we have to do something crazy like hire men. You know, and, and, you know, have, and have that kind of impact. And then as, as a way to help expand the concept, help other organizations around the country do what we do. So not make bean soup. I, in fact, I wouldn't necessarily recommend getting into the food business, but there is something unique about what we do where we combine the work with the skill, this, you know, the soft skill building and ultimately create a much more well-rounded employee for someone else. Well, it feels like there's a model there that you could plug whatever the product is and it could be even services in, into that mix in terms of, 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 you know, you have the vision of, of, we're bringing people in who, who are, are work, you know, work challenged or, or employment, employment challenge or what was the language that you used? Barriers to employment. Barriers to employment. So you bring those people in, you, you give them jobs, um, to get their, you know, get them used to having, having (laughs) full-time employment as well as all of these skills that you're, they're bringing to the table, you know, whether that's bean soup or, or, you know, bike parts or, or, 
you know, some sort of service, it, it, you know, it really, that piece doesn't matter as much. So that's, that's kind of a neat, repeatable, scalable yeah. endeavor for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I've, I've always had this philosophy that whatever problem we encounter, I know someone else has had the same problem and, and probably had some attempt to solve it and, and probably learned something from that attempt, whether it was successful or not. What I like to say is we've got 31 years worth of mistakes that we can help you avoid <laughs> if we collaborate and work together and, uh, and really think about our work together as lifting up the whole field. Right. I do think that social enterprise is a really interesting way to use business and to use consumerism to solve social problems. And that's, to me, what is, is really intriguing about this work is that we're doing, you know, we're actually exploiting, I guess, um, an activity that someone would do anyway. You know, they're buying food products and they're consuming those food products. And we're using that as a means to change people's lives. Right. Are you, is that part of your messaging in terms of the, the product sales as well? Are you, are you trying to capture that kind of B Corp idea in terms of this, you know, buying this product is not just going to, you know, make you make your tummy happy and be healthy and feed your family and do all of those things that, that buying any, any food product or would, would do, but also expands the community. Is that, has that social message been part of the advertising for for your your products? It's a big part of what we do. So when you look at any one of our products, our bean soup as an example, there's a little sticker on the front that says, these beans create jobs. Or if you look at our brownie mix, it says, these brownies create jobs. And so that's the first thing we want somebody to know that piques their curiosity is that this isn't just a bean soup. This right. is actually creating jobs. And then we have a key message, a quick message that starts with, uh, we believe that all women have the power to transform their lives through employment. And that is on every package as well. Because I think it's really, often our products end up in somebody's hands, maybe as a gift mm -hmm. or in a store in New Jersey. And we've never had the opportunity to have a direct interaction with that customer. Right. So I think it's really important. And we're frankly, we're pretty lucky because we have this, this product that is emblematic of what we do. So yes, it's a yummy um, food item because we wouldn't have been able to be around for 31 years if, if it wasn't. Right. But it really, it's about more than that. And right. um, the other thing that we do is every product is sealed with a sticker that says lovingly handmade by and it's signed by okay. a woman in the program. And to me, that's also a really important thing that there is somebody behind it that is not just, you know, a corporate, a corporation or, you know, the man, so to speak. Right. It's actually somebody whose life is being changed. And I can't tell you how often we get a letter from somebody who says, you know, dear Susan, I just had your bean soup. And I just want to say, keep up the good work. And I'm really proud of you or, you know, and if you can capture a customer's attention like that, gosh, how amazing. Yeah, and, as, you know, these are totally unsolicited responses to, you know, someone getting a product um, from either at a store, picking up at a store right. or as a gift. Yeah, that's great. Are, did, did you find that it was easier to get placement in, in places like Whole Foods and, and that had that kind of idea? Or are you guys in regular 
you know, everyday rest or everyday um, supermarkets across the nation? Well, our longest relation, grocery relationship is actually with King Supers or okay, cool. um, Kroger. Uh-huh. So we've been in Kroger stores since 1992. So for a really long time. And what we've learned is that we can often get the opportunity to be on shelves because of the mission. But if we don't sell through, we're out. Yep. So it doesn't, you know, it, it only gives us, it only maybe opens the door. It doesn't keep the door open. Yeah. Uh, and so that's been, you know, a huge um, challenge for us from a marketing and sales standpoint is uh, you, it, because what most of us don't realize if you're not in the food business is how much money gets spent by brands to stay on store shelves and yep. to have the kind of placement so that you're looking right at the, you know, Frito-Lay product when you yep. walk in. And it just, you know, you'd never have any reason to know that if you're not in the business. Well, I know that also it's fairly cutthroat in terms of, you know, if getting in can be a, a really bad thing um, in terms of once you're in, if you don't meet the, you know, the requirements, if the sell-through isn't, isn't good enough, then, and you drop off, like you never have another shot at, at, at yeah. that, at that, yeah. uh, I that think that's franchise, where some, right? Yeah, that's true. Sometimes, um, certainly uh, that ha- is true with some chains and with others. Um, we have a tendency to uh, go back and say, you know, let's talk about how we might be successful this time. And here's what we're doing in this chain. And this has, you know, this is, we're doing quite well here. How might we be able to do this with your chain? And that's the good thing about being around as long as we have is that we've obviously had a lot of successes so we can use those successes and then go to, uh, you know, even somebody where we lost shelf space. But we also, in those instances, we have to go into that relationship knowing what it's going to take. And we might not be willing to spend that kind of money. Right. You know, every dollar we spend on advertising or promotions is money that we don't have to hire another woman. Right. And so that's the tricky part. It's, what I love about what I do and also find challenging is that we do these two things that are kind of in conflict, right? right? You wouldn't, if you were going to try to make a lot of money being in the food business, you wouldn't intentionally hire people who have a history of not showing up to work, who, you know, (laughs) all the things that we look for intentionally. And then we get the women to the point where they're great employees. And then we let them leave to become (laughs) somebody else's great employee. It's, you know, it's a, I I joke that it's like, we come to work every day and shoot ourselves in the foot and say, (laughs) ow, that hurt. And then we come in the next day and we shoot ourselves in the foot again. Um, and, and yet at the same time, because of the rewards of when somebody actually, you know, stays employed, you know, for longer than she ever has, right. or, you know, we've been around long enough now, we, we might have a graduate who graduated 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, where she, you know, her kids grew up not knowing a time she didn't work or her grandchildren, you, right. know, you know, she's ready to retire. Right. That's pretty cool. That's super cool. Um, you know, I, I think that the, those two, we really like working. My, my business is called Relish Studio and we are a, a digital marketing agency and we really love working with purpose-driven companies because there's something behind that the mission of those companies other than just making profit and certainly profit and, and revenue is, is on everyone's mind. And that's an important thing to be chasing and to be um, aware of. But, um, but 
but we've just found that that it's just so refreshing to have something more than that. So, you know, you're, you're, you're certainly considering profit and, and revenues, but you're also contributing to the, the well-being of this, of, of this sector of our society that's really has some big challenges and you're helping lift them up. And so it just, it just becomes that much greater. So especially when you have success in both of those, like, like you guys are experiencing, it's, it makes those challenges worth it in terms of the, the shooting yourself in the foot every day and, and yeah. then doing it again. I, I say to our team sometimes when we're having a, you know, a, a big challenge and we're trying to work it out, hey, you guys, look, if this were easy, everybody'd do it. And then where would we be? <laughs> well, there'd be another challenge and we'd be worried about that instead. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's funny how, how that works. It's, <laughs> I, I find myself saying that a lot, too. Uh, because people expect things to just have a magic bullet. And it's like, well, if, if it had a magic bullet, then everyone would just do that. And there'd be some other problem would be solving for. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah, that would be lovely. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's just not how things work usually. Exactly. And we also will just go, you know, manufacture or find some other problem to go solve. So, so it's, it's pretty cool. So you mentioned a, f- a few minutes ago, you talked about challenges that you guys have, have gone through and, and that's an you know, a conversation I have a, a lot is that, um, particularly when we're in crisis, we we as people tend to think we're on an island, and we we're really, you know, believe like we're the only person that's ever gone through this, and we get very down. and And so, having that ability to uh, tap into a network of other people, um, entrepreneurs, or or other students or people who've been through through the same challenges that that one is facing at, at this current time can be just really refreshing and so um you know what are some of the things that if if you were speaking to either your younger self coming into that role you know 17 years ago as ceo or um or a you know someone who's forming a nonprofit today or is in the first few years of, of running their nonprofit what are some of those challenges that you guys have that you've that you've gone through and that you would be able to help people avoid? Do you think? Mm. Well, so I think I I have a much better ability to sort of be able to condense this into a single thought because I think a lot of the challenges early on were were seem so disparate that I was trying to address them all individually. And now I see that, you know, there were a few things that were a theme. Um, One is regardless of whether you're running a business for shareholder benefit or you're running a business with a a mission in mind, you have to run a good business. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, have a good handle on your cost of goods. You have to have strong supply chain. There are just so many things about running a good business that get overlooked when can get overlooked when you're so focused on fulfilling a mission that, you know, that the idea that, well, but I'm doing this for a, a good reason. So people will overlook the other things, you know, I, I, that doesn't happen. The bottom line is that you still have a bottom line. Right. And, uh, and so if there is no profitability in the work that you do, then you won't survive. And I, and I mean, I knew that intuitively, but I also realized that there were a lot of things that led to that, to being a, a strong business and a strong workplace and a strong employer right. um, and having all of our systems in place and, you know, not, um, 
not in a bureaucratic kind of way, because that is Mm -hmm. counter to my nature, but in a way that is when this happens, this is what we do. Right. Because we, we know that. And I, uh, I've, you know, used to say things like, what kind of Mickey Mouse operation is this? Don't we have a process? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, but you know, and now we do. And I would say then the next bigger picture lesson that comes to mind is that whether you're we're producing a product or this would be the same if we had a service or we're producing a great employee we have a brand promise right and we need to always be mindful of what that brand promise is so when if even if we start out by saying when we say a woman is successful she graduates our program what does that look like what are the qualities and characteristics that she has then we need to build a program that gets women to that point that's what a brand promise is that that when somebody sees on a woman's resume that she graduated from women's bean project that has to have meaning and that has to be something that you know if we don't define it, other people will define it for us. And we might not like what they decide. Right. And so the same goes for, you know, our, our soup products or our baking mixes, all of those things. But I think a lot of times when you're in a mission oriented organization, you don't think about brand promise in that way, but Mm -hmm. I think you should, I think it needs to be applied across everything that you do. Yeah. I think we, I, I think that a lot of times you're absolutely right. That nonprofits, tend to get very mission focused and forget that a nonprofit is actually a business. And, um, and, and you, you mentioned something earlier, which resonated really strongly with me in, in that, you know, marketing and sales aren't dirty words necessarily. And in, in the nonprofit space, I think that there's a, there's a, a general antagonism towards, towards investing in those areas but if it, but if it's a smart investment and you're expecting a return and you're measuring and you're doing all the things correctly to, uh, to foster or to, to, to have that investment grow, you know, your mission and expand your mission, then it, then it's certainly something that, um, that's worthwhile. And, and it's not taking food out of somebody's mouth. It's putting more food in more mouths. Um, yeah. and, and I do think that, I do think that, that a lot of nonprofit leaders do get a little, you know, a little blinders on in regards to that, in regards to that mission and, and failing to run it as run their organizations as businesses. Um, so it's, it's refreshing to hear, hear you say that. Well, and I think we, um, as a sector, we've got to stop thinking about that as a bad thing. And, and as a business sector, we've got to stop thinking that just because someone is in a nonprofit, they're not running it like a business. Right. You know, I think we've got to sort of meet in the middle um, because I think that there are misperceptions on either side of the equation. Um, I just happened to be, well, I came from the, um, the business world before I came to the Beam Project. Mm-hmm. So I did not come with from the nonprofit, you know, professionally from a nonprofit mindset. And I remember, though, when I first started, um, I would say, but why aren't we, you know, fill in the blank question. And people would look at me like, we don't do that in the nonprofit (laughs) world. And I was like, but why not? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, you guys said, I mean, the women's bean project is such an interesting blend. And 
you know, it's not unique to, to nonprofits to have, a, you know, a, a profit center um, and, a, and a for-profit kind of segment of their, of their business that drives, I mean, that drives 60% of, of your, your operating budget. So, right. um, you know, it, it is a, a little bit of a different mix. And, and, and that's something that, that we would encourage nonprofits when they're, when they're trying to conceive of ways to expand that mission and they start looking at, at where, um, where revenues are coming from is, you know, that maybe there is an opportunity to do kind of a for-profit play and, and have a product or a service that you're, that you're charging for, um, yeah. as part of that, as, as part of that mix, um, it just becomes kind of a healthy mix of, of opportunity to drive, to drive revenue. Yeah. And I think that, um, what's challenging is getting, a shift in mindset to be willing to ask somebody maybe who's never been asked to pay for a service to actually pay for it, to charge something for that service. And I, I, there are a lot of organizations that I know struggle with that, making that shift of mentality. Um, And it's not because they don't believe that their, their service has value or worth. It's just that they've never really been in a place where they were asking someone to pay for it. at least that's what they're thinking. But really, when you're in a situation where you're providing a service, somebody's paying for it. Right. But uh, usually that model is that grants and donations are paying for it. Yes. And I remember once a, um, a, a woman who's a fundraising consultant said, uh, she was talking about how she thinks about fundraising. And she said, you know, I would love to have, you know, someone experiencing homelessness come and sleep on my couch until they get their you know, get their feedback under them. And, but I also recognize that that's, I'm helping one person, right. but if I give money to a shelter, then they're going to be able to help a lot of people. So that model of, a sh- of giving money. So I'm basically paying the shelter to do the work that I'm you know willing to do for myself so that they can have a greater impact. Right. And I thought that that was a really great reframing because she first believed in the work, but, and secondly, she believed that it, what it had value and it was something she was willing to, in her words, pay for. Right. Um, and I think often in a traditional nonprofit setting, when as organizations are trying to think about, well, what do we you know, either do have or, um, uh, or think about that we, we could charge for, they have a really hard time getting over that hump. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool when, when you can see that happen in, in a nonprofit world. And we work with the Colorado Youth Corps Association and, and they are kind of this hub for, for a bunch of, of youth corps around the state. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but, but at the end of the day, those youth corps are, they're charging for those services in, in a lot of cases. So there may be a, a land owner or a land manager that needs, you know, fencing done or noxious weeds removed or, or fire mitigation or things of that nature. And they're paying this force to come in. So there is that component that, that does turn it into a service-based, you know, for fee kind of mechanism. And, and obviously those cores are also receiving grants and donations and all the other stuff that nonprofits you know, benefit from, but, but there is that component of, of being able to sell something, which is, um, which is really cool. 
Yeah. And then you think about what that says to those youth, right? That says what they're doing has value yeah. and somebody's willing to pay for it. And I think that that's the, a really important message to send is that this isn't just like we got a bunch of kids together and, you know, they're cheap and, you know, and so we're just going to get them to do the work. Yeah. Um, it is what you're doing. We've been hired to do this work because what you do is valuable. Right. And, and that applies to what, what you are doing in, in your organization as well. If that, if you weren't generating profits and you weren't generating revenue from, from this, it would just be this weird charity thing. And so the ownership and the pride, I'm sure that, that, that the people who come through your, your programs feel as being part of this successful business has got to be a, a key component to, to their, to their growth and their, you know, how, how they get better. Yeah, it's well, it's super important. And one, so what we try to do, because, you know, one of our biggest um, sellers is our 10 bean soup. And so from the women's perspective, it probably feels like all they're ever doing is making 10 bean soup. <laughs> right. And so we try to give, show them okay, here's, here are how our sales go. And here's when our peak in sales are typically from September through December. And this is how many units of 10 bean soup we sell typically in a year. Mm -hmm. And it is so that you're, they're not disconnected from the work. And then always we share when we get letters from customers, um, you know, or other supporters, we're always sharing, making sure we share them because I think you could, and this would be the case with any employee, it would be easy to be doing your work, you know, and feel like you're doing it in a vacuum and not make the connection to the fact that, hey, this product actually is going to end up in Florida. Right. And, and my name's on it. How cool is that? I, one of our graduates um, said she worked in our shipping department and she said, every time I send a package, I'm so excited because it means I'm going somewhere. And, oh, and, and I know that I've done a good job of packing this and it's an accurate order and it's well packaged and it's going to arrive at their destination and people are going to be glad they got it. But I know I did that. Oh, that's amazing. That's super cool. So what is, we're coming into kind of that giving season. Are you guys doing, you know, are you hitting that pretty hard in terms of, of, is this is this the you know, biggest time of year for donations for you, or do do you have a you know, have you spread that out kind of over the over the full year at this point? It's certainly a big time of year because people think about giving this time mm -hmm. of year. We do one big fundraiser and we do it as a graduation celebration and we do that in April. So that's a pretty big time of year for us also. But um, the opportunity also to impact, it, interact with our supporters is so much greater this time of year. So right. it is a big giving season. There is, of course, Colorado Gives Day yep. for people inside Colorado and there's Giving Tuesday for people outside of Colorado, we have a fortunate opportunity to, um, to receive gifts, um, donations from people who are our customers outside of Colorado right. in a way that we wouldn't if we were just local. Um, we are, uh, and so there's lots of ways people can give. And then what we're finding right now, especially, is that a lot of employers who may or may not have given corporate gifts, you know, to their clients yes. in past years, this year are 
giving gifts to their employees and having them sent to their homes because so many employees are working at home. And that has been a great opportunity for us because, you know, we're, we're, we're selling comfort food. Right. And, you know, and we have snacks and we have dog biscuits. And so we have sort of something for everyone. So a lot of our sales right now are giving somebody the opportunity to give, which is also pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you could just package up a uh, kind of a, a collection of some of the, some of your best selling things into a gift basket and yeah. sell that as, as a line item. Well, we do. So we have a, we call, we do it as gift boxes, sort mm-hmm. of like when you get a Harry and David box and you know, the, yeah. the la presentation <laughs> when you open it. And so we have a variety of different you know product mixes that we sell through um, for, you know, any time, but especially this time of year, they're pretty popular. Oh, I bet. Are you doing, I know you have on online sales as well as in brick and mortar. Are, are you doing some, any subscription model type stuff along, along those sales channels? Uh, so, you know, I'm the person who's like, who everybody says, you know, that's a great idea, but not now. <laughs> and so <laughs> we will be moving to a subscription model, um, even if it is, um, you know, we start out quarterly um, because we're consumable products. So right. it's, a, we're, a, we're a great mix, you know, so to speak for, um, for, uh, subscription. So I imagine that we'll be doing that in 2021. Um, this year, because our sales have been, you know, normally March and April, our sales start to decline. You know, it's just not, you know, bean soup doesn't say summer as much as I try to convince people, you know, I've been pushing chili dogs for 17 years, but, um, normally sales start to go down as the weather gets warmer this year in the first two weeks of March, we did more sales through our Amazon uh, marketplace than we did for all of 2019 on through that channel. Holy so smokes. we really, we, we were not expecting that. And so sales have been elevated for the whole calendar year for us. Um, so it was not a good time to introduce something new. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that visionary problem, right? Where you're always coming up with these great ideas. And yeah. Everyone's like, would you just let us do our thing here for two yeah. minutes? Well, one of the things where I joked that we're the victim of our own good idea, we introduced last year snacks. So they're little bags of two to three servings of uh, seven different really yummy snacks, trail mix with ginger in it, um, some raspberry gummy fish that are, you know, never get hard like Swedish fish. And, and those are selling like crazy right now. And, and, you know, you never really know when you introduce a new product, um, you don't know in real time how well it's going to sell. You really know a year or so later. And so now we're seeing that it's, they're doing well. And so, I kind of got the stink eye when I said, you guys, I have this great idea. <laughs> <laughs> How did you keep up with the, with that increase in, in sales with, you know, a limited, I mean, there were so many things coming together at the same time in terms of social distancing and, you know, everything else. How did you, how did you keep the productivity so high? I, I think it really is that we have a team of people who just 
do what it takes to get it done. Um, what it, what I always think about when, um, you know, because we're so seasonal, we always have to have the capacity to get to a really high level, okay. even if we're only at that point for a couple months of the year, you right. know, our, our 70% in usual years, 70% of our sales happen between September and December. Right. So we have to be able to ramp up. And so we had that ability to ramp up just at a different time. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and, that totally you know, makes sense. Yeah. It's and all that said, you know, it's still you know people are tired at this point, uh-huh. and you know, so we've just got to keep you know keep making the donuts, so to speak, and you know <laughs> right. keep coming in every morning and and doing it, and and then just sort of rolling with the punches, um, which you know on different days you you're you can do that more easily than others, I think. Well, sure. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, I think that's uh, everybody has that, has that challenge. Um, and, and I would, I would anticipate that, that, that the, the people that you serve would, would have those challenges really affect them quite a lot. You know, it's been interesting to watch it, there. It's been a little bit, mixed. So the women we serve, if you think about it, don't control a lot of things in their life anyway, often. And so early on, especially, you know, things like they were the the public transportation, certain Mm -hmm. lines were shutting down and there were all kinds of things. And at that point, you know, in March and April, and maybe even into May, every day it felt like something new was coming out. Right. And I think I was way more stressed than the women we were serving because, right. you know, I'm, I'm accustomed to having a fair amount of agency over what's happening in my life. You know, I create a plan and I execute on the plan and, you know, make adjustments as needed. And what I've learned in all of this is that my plans don't actually make sense right. <laughs> right. or don't matter. I can plan all I want, but it doesn't really matter if there's a new, you know, uh, mayor, the mayor makes a new rule or the governor, you know, has a new mandate. Right. Well, I, I really love what you're doing. I, I like to end all of our all of my conversations with a, an action ask. Um, one of the things that drives me nuts is when when it's just all talk and then nothing ever gets done. And so I'd like to ask my guests if there's one thing that you could have people do, either related to your organization or just just in general, you know, go go for a hike or whatever. What would what would be that thing that you'd like for people to do after listening to the to our show today? Well, it's bean soup season. So, uh, and bean soup is really good for you. So I would recommend, uh, even if it's not women's bean project uh, products, but preferably it would be, um, get some bean soup and make it for your family and sit down and have a, have a family meal. I, I love that. And where can people find, find your organization? What's, what's the URL or where, where would you encourage them to go look for, for your products? Well, the easiest place where all of our products can be found is womensbeanproject.com. And you can also get it at Amazon and you can get us at uh, King Supers and city market stores across the state, all the Whole Foods in the region or even Safeway stores. So there's a lot of different ways you could get our products. Well, that's great. I, I would encourage everyone to go out and, and find some 10 bean soup or some other Women's Bean Project uh, product and give it a whirl because you guys are doing, you're doing some really great stuff. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun. Oh, I had a blast. I'll talk to you soon.
Okay, great. Bye. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Relish This, the nonprofit marketing podcast. If you want to continue the conversation and see how we can unearth some gold for your organization, head over to relishstudio.com slash podcast to sign up to be a guest on the show. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Relish This.